Well, we once again want to welcome everybody here this morning and all, also those that are watching at home. And I want us to take our Bibles this morning and turn to James chapter 1 as we continue our series of messages in the Christ follower. What does, what does it mean to really follow Jesus Christ? I'm reminded of the story recently read about VJ Warrior. And VJ was uh, born in India, came over to this country, and before they left, he left from, from India. He had an arranged marriage. Now, many of these arranged marriages do not end all that well because there's no connection. But he said between he and his wife, there was a real connection and a love that grew there. But they soon began to have marital problems. And because of that, probably, probably because of that, she sought the Lord. She had some Christian friends here in America, and they invited her to church. So she came uh, to the church there in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And as she was going, she heard the Word of God, became convinced that the Bible was the Word of God, and received Christ into her heart, Savior and Lord. Well, she wanted her husband to come, and he didn't really want to come. But he agreed that he would at least drive her to church. So he drove her to church, sat in the car, and by his own uh, telling of the story, would smoke cigarettes the whole time that she was in the church. Well, one day, he decided he really wanted a cup of coffee, and he knew there was a coffee shop there in the church. So he goes in, and he gets a cup of coffee, sits down, and begins to listen and watch the sermon on a monitor. Well, it really began to work on him a little bit, and he, he so, sort of felt compelled to come back every week. And instead of sitting in the car, he would go into the coffee shop, drink coffee, and after several months of this, one day, his wife came out of the, the worship center and said, hey, look, let's go over here to the prayer room. Well, he knew his marriage by that time needed a lot of prayer. And so they went to the prayer room, and they met a couple there. And Lynn was the guy's name, and began to answer some of VJ's questions about the Bible. And when he became convinced that the Bible was the Word of God, then he had certainly a decision to make. And one day, after he decided to start coming to church for a few Sundays, the pastor gave the invitation to receive Christ. And he thought to himself, hey, it's now or never. My marriage is in trouble. It's on the rocks. And I know that all this stuff, I really believe it's true. And so he gave his heart to Christ, even though it meant maybe his family and probably disowning him through the Hindu faith. And so I tell that story to say that here was a man that was convinced that the Bible was the Word of God, and then he began to follow Christ. In fact, at the end of the article, it said this, I am not a fan, I'm a follower. So what does it mean to really follow Jesus Christ? How do you do that? You know, think about it for just a moment. In the, in the back of the Bible times, when the disciples got up in the morning, Jesus rose up early, it says in the morning, went off to pray. Well, now he's getting back from prayer, and, you know, there's the, the smell of stench maybe in the air from the sheep. There's dirt all around the ground. And you're getting up and you're thinking, well, where to today? And Jesus said, well, let's go to Bethany. And so it's a really easy decision. You either go to Bethany or you don't. So you get up, you go to Bethany, and that's what it meant to follow Christ. Pure and simple. You know, he told us, he told them at one point they could perform miracles. So what did they do? They went out. The Bible says he sent them out as sheep among wolves, it says in the Scripture, and they began to preach the gospel and to perform miracles. Well, he did just simply, he told them what to do, and they did it. Or he got up, said, let's go to Jerusalem today, and they just followed him. Today, it's not so easy, is it? What does it really mean to follow Christ? Because Jesus is not getting with us, up with us in the morning in our house and says, well, let's go to work today. 
Now let's go to church today. Let's go down here to this city. Let's go to the uh, homeless shelter over here. He's not telling us what to do. Yet, there has to be some form of communication. In order for there to be a relationship, he must communicate in some way. So what is the answer to that? Well, James tells us the answer. And many books of the Bible does, do tell us the answer. In fact, I could have chosen a lot of passages for this message this morning. But in the book of James, it's interesting that as James is writing this practical book, he's a half-brother of Jesus, the real blood brother of Jesus Christ. He's writing this book, and he says in the first chapter, in the first couple of verses, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. You're going to go through trials in life. You need wisdom from God. Then he says later in the chapter, he says, you're going to face temptations in life. And therefore, you're going to need strength to overcome those temptations. He says you're going to have to get power over the tongue, over your speech, chapter 3. You're going to have to have the wisdom of God in your life, chapter 3. You're going to have to know how to pray for the sick, chapter 5. How do we know all that? Where is the instruction manual for all that? Well, in verse 18 of this first chapter, right after he talks about wisdom and temptation, he says this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What is the word of truth? It's the Bible. In verse 25, but the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer but forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You want a blessed life. The Bible calls it blessed, successful. The Bible would call it fruitfulness. God offers you all these things, and he offers me all those things, and he gives us a manual to do that. He gives us a communication tool, and he says that is the Word of God. Now, let me ask you. I have a, I have a couple of books here uh, in front of me, and they're just random books. And uh, we'll just say, for example, this book, I would tell you, would give you a successful family. There's no question about successful marriage. Well, this is the ultimate marriage manual. That's not. It's a book on uh, the church. But nevertheless, the book on marriage. And you were, you were convinced. In fact, it was, just for argument's sake, it was just accepted that this book applied would make your marriage successful. Would you want to read it? Well, some of you would. You know, I'll sell it to you for $99.95. Now, uh, this book, on the other hand, we'll just say is a book on success. And if you read this book, it'll make your life successful, guaranteed. Most of you would want to read the book. But here's the question. Would you want to read one of those books? Would you want to pay any price for it? Would you devour it as far as reading it and, and memorizing it and studying it? Well, it depends. Would, do you want a successful marriage or, or successful marriage? Do you want a successful uh, business life? If you want a successful business life, you'd want to read this book. If you want a successful marriage, you would want to read this other book. So the question is, this book, this book that I hold in my hand, will give you success, fruitfulness, give you a blessed life. And it'll help you to follow Jesus. Now, that's guaranteed. Those books are not guaranteed. This book, guaranteed. Now, do you want to read it? Well, it depends on really whether you want to follow Jesus. Whether you want that kind of close, 
personal relationship with him or not. If you do, you read it. If you don't, well, not so much. We look in the Bible and we read verses 18 and 25 and we understand the answer is the word of God. One of the things that we notice in the Bible, no matter who it is, in the New, especially in the New Testament, really in the Old Testament as well, the followers of God always had something in common. There was a common denominator. That is, they believed the word of God, they heard the word of God, they listened, and they obeyed the word of God. And those are the three points that we look at this morning. And so as we look, we look at the fact that Christ's followers are believers of the word, hearers of the word, and doers of the word. Now notice, most of the time, we would see these things kind of switched a little bit. You have to hear the Bible in order to really believe it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Then once you hear it, you believe it. And then once you believe it, you, you hear it again. God gives you another voice in another uh, part of communication. But James switches them a little bit. So we want to take it in the order that James gives it to us. And I think there's a reason for it. First of all, we notice that Christ followers are believers of the word of God. Verse 18 says the word of truth. The Bible is the word of truth. It further talks about it. In fact, it says down here that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, what he's reminding us is this. You and I cannot come to know Christ without the written word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. We have to hear it in order to understand what salvation is all about. In fact, everything that we know about Jesus Christ, or virtually everything we know, 95% of what we know about Jesus Christ is found right here in this book. 95% of it. Everything about Jesus, everything about his crucifixion, everything about his resurrection, found right here in this book. Now, we look further where he says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, we think about law, and we think about maybe the Ten Commandments. Other people think about the first five books of the Bible. But in Jesus' case, and the case in James as well, oftentimes Jesus referred to the entire word of God as the law. It's just sort of synonymous with it. And he says in Psalm 19.7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, the reason I want to bring that out in Psalm 19 is because the Hebrew language in the Old Testament this word perfect means a straight edge. Now, when you're building something, you have to have a straight edge to measure everything else by that straight edge. And so the psalmist is reminding us is that the word of God is the straight edge. It's what we measure everything in life with. We don't measure life, we don't measure the word of God by the life. We don't measure the word of God by the culture. We measure the culture and life by the word of God. That's the straight edge. That's the perfectness of it. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, let me, let me share with you, breaking this down just a little bit, all scripture. What does that mean in the Greek? That means all. Okay? It means every one. Depends on how you want to take it. Could mean either one. It could mean every one, or it could mean all. That kind of means the same thing. Breathed out. Some of your translation says inspired of God. And I think that that is the intention 
of the writer to say it was inspired. But the translator is saying, now how was it inspired? It was inspired by the fact that God breathed it. Now how in the world can God breathe error? You and I think about the fact that uh, we need perfect communication with God. How would it be if Jesus got up in the morning and said, we're going to go to Bethany. I'll meet you in Bethany. Everybody goes to Bethany. He in, ends up in Capernaum somewhere. Well, you know, fooled you. I, I just sort of changed my mind. I'm not perfect, you know. No, we need something that is a manual for life. For example, some of you may work on your car. And uh, my hat goes off to you as you do. Uh, you're mechanically inclined. You work on your car. But you can't know probably everything about your car. And even some amateurs like myself that have to buy a part or trying to figure out maybe what's wrong with the car will do what? We'll look in the manual. Well, how would it be if you bought a new car and the guy says, look, there's a couple of things about this car and he, he told you about this gadget and this gadget and this is great. Well, how do I know how to work all these gadgets? Well, it's the manual in the glove compartment, but I, it's not perfect. There's some typos there. And there's some wrong information there. And so I really don't know whether you can trust. You can trust a lot of it. Which parts can I trust? Well, we don't know. We all disagree on what parts you can trust. If you had a manual like that, you would never want to work on your car. It would be too dangerous. You might ruin the whole thing. So God wants to give us an error-free word that we can use for him to communicate with us. And we have confidence that if we do that, God's going to bless and we're going to be pleasing to the Lord. It says this in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What's a light? It shows us the way in the darkness. It's an encouragement to our soul. It challenges our heart. It, again, gives us direction in life. Where's the path? Where do I need to go? It shows us the way. It gives us the wisdom of God and the path that we need to take to grow in him. Now, I know the, the objection is, well, honestly, pastor, and you wouldn't maybe say this unless you knew me really well, but you might say, well, I have problems with some of the places in the Bible. I, I, I object to some of those things. Some of them are oppressive. Some of them are offensive. There are offensive passages. And pastor, you preach some of those, you know, offensive passages. Here's the problem. There is no, there is no universal offensive passages. Not everybody's offended by the same thing. And I've shared this with you before. Someone here in the West, because of the sexual revolution that we had back in the 1960s, and we're still feeling the effects of that today, they're offended by someone saying, well, no, you can't have sex outside of marriage at all. On the other hand, the people of the East would say, oh, no, I, I believe that part, but I don't like this part. The people maybe out in the Congo, for example, when uh, in places in Af other places in Africa, and their whole village has been pillaged, and everything's burned, and everyone killed. And you come out here and say, oh, you ought to forgive everybody 70 times 7. They look at that and say, that, that's ridiculous. We would never do that. That's offensive to me that someone would kill my entire family, and you want me, the Bible says, to forgive them. It's offensive. And so where are the offensive passages. Well, they're really all over because if the Bible is a universal book, then it's going to confront and challenge every single culture. And again, American culture is not the only culture. In fact, I think we have even two cultures here. Can you imagine what's going on all around the world? And in every culture, 
the Bible agrees, or their culture agrees with the Bible. Remember, this is the straight edge. Their, their culture agrees with it, and their culture disagrees with it. Our culture agrees with it, and our culture disagrees with it. But it is God's Word, and if it's God's Word, then we have to use this as our straight edge. Well, here's what First Tim, Second Timothy chapter 1 says. Another writer of the Bible, Peter, says this, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Notice he says, we saw it. We were here. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. What's it talking about? The Mount of Transfiguration, right before he would die on the cross. He said, we were there when the voice came. Behold, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased. We were there. We heard the voice from heaven. These weren't people that were writing centuries later. They were writing right then. We have a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we will do well to pay attention to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. We've already said in 2 Timothy that every word is actually inspired as originally given. But the men were moved to write and they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. And the inspiration itself was the Scripture. Not the men, but the Scripture itself. But they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we look at this and we know that the, there's evidence from history that backs up the Bible. Archaeology. Did you know there are, many, there are many faiths today that have no history besides their book? They have no archaeological discoveries that would back up any civilization where those people lived. You can, you can study every single one of these Old Testament uh, groups of people today in colleges, in universities. Everyone. We see the lives of people being changed. We see the world being changed because of Christianity. And we see prophecy. Mentioned prophecy. Did you know there's no other faith in the world that has predictive prophecy except for Christianity? You look at the Old Testament, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Old and New Testament, they're being fulfilled even now as we speak, as we, I think, usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us there, there's evidence of it. And if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I've said before, is true, then that means the crucifixion was true. And it was not only a happened because Roman history tells us it happened, but it happened for a reason to die on the cross for your sins. Why? Because Jesus said so, and he said he would rise again on the third day. If he rose again on the third day, the cross means something to us. And if it means something to us, that means he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And if he loves you with an everlasting love, he wants and desires to have a relationship with you that goes, that traces all the way back to the book of Genesis. And if he wants that relationship with you, he must communicate with you. And he does that through the written word of God. We look and we understand that God wants to do something in our life. But he says, look, 
You not only believe it, but you need to hear it. You need to hear and listen to the word of God. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. That is, quick to hear the word of God. Velocity, quick, fast, slow to speak, slow to anger. And the anger has to do with reading the Bible or hearing the Bible preached. And maybe walking out of service like this because you're angry because of something in the past. Maybe that has happened. Something has worked on your life. And you're, you're angry with God. He says, be slow to anger. And then he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now this word filthiness, I think our, our middle school boys, young men are going to appreciate this, is, is really something kind of gross. It has to do with earwax being stuck in your ear. And it says, it's like earwax. The filthiness keeps you from hearing the word of God. He says, get rid of that. Get rid of those things in your life that God is convicting you of so you can hear the word of God. He says, the implanted word, that's the idea that God would not only, you not only hear it, but hear it in such a way that's implanted in your very heart and your very soul. He says, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. But he says, you got to hear. Jesus constantly was saying things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you hearing? He would tell somebody something and they would just kind of reject it. And other people wouldn't hear it at all. You see, you and I have been coming to church maybe for many, many years. And we've heard a lot of sermons. And then there's some sermons that we've listened to, but we didn't hear them. I remember being at my first church and preaching on this one subject kind of through that winter. And we had a revival coming up in March. And this guy comes in and preaches. And he's preaching the same thing I'm preaching. In fact, I don't even think it was as good as what I, never mind about that. No, but he was doing a really good job. Good friend of mine. He was coming in, people were coming out. You know that, that time we used to meet at the door? When you go out, you have to tell the preacher he preached a good sermon? Well, that's kind of the way it was. And so he was greeting everybody. Oh, that was a good sermon. I'd never heard that before. And I wanted to say, what do you mean you never? I've been preaching on that all winter. But they didn't hear it. They heard it. But they didn't hear it. And Jesus says, be careful how you listen. He says this in Luke 8. Take care then how you hear or how you listen. For to one, the one who has, more will be given. You have it, you're listening, God's going to give you more. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, in the context of that, What's he talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, as well as Luke 8, we find the parable of the sower. And it's a very famous parable, a very long one. In fact, I'll, let me just share with you what, it, uh, what Jesus was saying. He says, the word of God and evangelism and salvation is like this. A sower was just sowing seeds in the field. He was, and how they did it, they just reached into their uh, pack and just began to spread things out. He said, some of those seeds fall on rocky soil. And he said, it's... The birds of the air come and, and pick them off. And they never get under the surface. He says the birds are like the devil. He comes along and takes the word of God away from you. He says other soil is like a little softer, but it's a hard shell underneath, limestone underneath. And he says the, the, the seed falls on the surface and it gets a little bit of root. He said those are the people who really enjoy hearing the Bible. They receive it while at church. But then they go out, they don't do anything about it, 
that it never changes their life, and therefore the growth is stunted and it dies. The word dies. And he says the third type of person, well, the seed is thrown in the, in kind of the weeds. And the weeds, I mean, yeah, the plant grows up, but then the weeds come along and choke it off. And the weeds are the cares of this world and the temptations of this world. And it chokes it out and it dies. And the fourth type of soil is the good soil. It goes deep. They want to receive the word of God. They do the word of God. He says, be careful how you listen. I um, shared with you this uh, illustration last week, and I just want to elaborate on one point, if I may. You know, we said that a few weeks ago, then the book Pilgrim's Progress, an allegory of the Christian life, Pilgrim's walking along, and he, he's making a journey to the cross. He gets to the cross, and right in front of it is a really big hole, and suddenly the backpack just slips off into the hole. And the book says forever, 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 never to be gotten again. And that's true as far as our forgiveness for the penalty of sin. But you know that we wrestle with the same stuff. And yeah, we get victory over the couple of big things when we get saved. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. It should. That's what salvation is all about. But we're still dealing with different things in our life. And so in this backpack, I have some shirts in here, some clothing. And each part of this clothing represents something that God is convicting us of a challenge in our life, something we need to change, something that we need to get rid of, something maybe we need to repent of. And so everything's do, going good, and God comes along and says, look, I, I want you to take this old shirt, this old sin in your life. I'm challenging you to repent and get rid of it. And so you do that. And so what happens? You've heard the word of God. You believe the word of God. So you did the word of God. So God comes along and says something else. See, every time you, you hear, you believe it. Because you believe it, you do it. God comes along and says, here, I'm going, to tell, I'm, going to, I'm going to share with you some more stuff. I'm going to communicate even more. Then you come along and he says, well, there's, there's something else in your life. And you need to get rid of that. And you say, oh, yeah, that's fine. I'm wrestling with this, but I know I need to. And so you wrestle with it and wrestle with it. Finally, you get, you get victory over that. Then he comes along and he says, um, look, I want you to get rid of, of this. Says, now, wait a minute. God, not, not that. You couldn't be convicted. It must be the devil talking to me. Because this is what I really rely on. You know, this is where I go when I need uh, that beach um, feeling, but I'm not at the beach. Somewhere to escape. It's something that is really precious to me. So, God, you couldn't be convicting me of that. Uh, not now. I don't even want to listen to that. You know, sh surely you're talking to somebody else. But, but maybe it's this. I mean, you know, my goodness, this is crimson red. It, it couldn't be. It couldn't be uh, good. And so that's for my Alabama fans there. But... Um, <laughs> And you think to yourself, oh, you know, I feel so much better. I got rid of something in my life. Got rid of, sort of like when God convicts you to apologize to someone and you don't want to, so you apologize to everybody else. Thinking that's going to make you feel better, and it never does. And, and so you, you wrestle with that. And so you heard it, but you didn't believe it. Because you didn't believe it, you didn't do it. God quits talking. He just waits. No, I'm, I'm waiting for you to get rid of this. So you really get antsy because you haven't, you just feel like your relationship with God's not what it needs to be. So you get rid of something else. Okay, that's fine, but that's not what God was saying to get rid of. That's not the challenge he was putting in your life. It's just this right here. And until we deal with that, he doesn't talk anymore. doesn't communicate anymore. You know, this is it. This is what you need to do. That's why if you come to church 
And I, I hear this often of people. People will say, uh, Pastor Mercer, the only thing you ever preach on is the Lordship of Christ. Oh, really? And the next day somebody says, you know, the only thing you ever preached, the reason I quit coming to, to, to Cross Life, the only thing you ever preached on was evangelism and witnessing. Really? And then about the next week, somebody, the, you know, the reason I quit doing, the only thing I ever heard you preach on is money. So what are they saying? And I told, I finally just told somebody, the reason why you think I, I preach on that all the time, and I gave them an example. Somebody else said last week, I preached just on this. And somebody, the reason, the reason for that, and I just told him, he said, I said, uh, you don't do this, do you? No. But God yeah, you feel a little guilty for not doing that. Well, yeah, I guess so. I said, the reason why you think I preach on that all the time is because that's all you hear. It's all you hear. Because in, unless you deal with that area of your life, every sermon you ever hear anyone preach will be about that subject. I remember a guy helping run our sound in my last church. We prayed and prayed for him. He was an atheist, gave him books to read. He came down the aisle one day and gave his heart to Christ. I did it two and a half years. Out of the blue. Nobody was running the sound that morning after that. Getting saved. Well, I, I didn't mind. And, uh, and he said afterwards, he said, you know, all those books you gave me, all that kind of stuff, I, I didn't really take all that seriously. But this morning when you said, and he said something, he said, that just spoke to my heart. I knew I needed to give my heart to Christ. And I said, well, bless God, that's wonderful. And I thought to myself, God, I never said that. I didn't even preach on that today. And I went back and listened to the tape. I never said that. Never did. In fact, that was news to me. That was a good insight. Because God was speaking to him. Are you listening? If you're listening, are you doing? Because that's the last point this morning. We need to... Hear the word of God and do it. I need to move quickly. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. And he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he is like. It gives the idea of very dark times because of a candlelit room. You're looking at a mirror and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, you know, my hair's going. You just woke up in the morning. Your hair's every direction. You need to shave. You look, I mean, you look like you stink. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just don't look good at all. In fact, the mirror makes you look a little heavy. Actually, the mirror probably just takes a little few pounds off. But you look at your face in the mirror. And then you walk out. And you live your life without ever cleaning up. He says, you look at the mirror of the Bible the straight edge, the perfectness of the Bible. And you look at it and you say, oh, that's what's wrong with my life. That's the shirt I need to get out. Well, I'm just going to stuff it back in there and I'm going to go out and live my life. And it affects every area of your life. Look in verse, uh, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious, religion is worthless. And chapter 3 is all about the tongue. And he says, look, it's going to change your conversation if you're a doer of the word. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It's going to affect your ministry. It's going to affect your concern for people. It says to keep oneself unstained from the world. It affects your conduct. 
It affects everything about you. And you say, that's what I don't like, Pastor. When I say I'm offended by some of the Bible, what I'm saying is I'm offended because it takes away my freedom. If I do this, I can't do this. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That, that's really it. Okay, here's, here's the problem with that, the challenge, the thinking. When we say that, what we're saying is, is that our definition of freedom means the absence of restrictions. Okay, well, let's just take that to the fullest degree here. That means you, walk, you drive in a parking lot, and you see visitor places here, and you say, well, I want to park there. I can't park there because our guests need that because I don't know where to go once, once they park. We have people there to show them how to get there. Therefore, I'm restricted. I'm not totally free. There's handicapped places here as well. I can't park there, so I'm not totally free because freedom means lack of restrictions. Well, let's just take the, one of the oldest illustrations in the world, fish out of water. You have a fish. If that fish is going to be completely free in your definition. There's a body of water, there's pavement. He ought to have a choice on which way to go. And so he says, I'm going to choose the pavement. So you throw him up on the pavement. His gills doesn't work. His fins don't work. He sits there and bakes in the sun and he dies. You see, the, the lack of restriction took away his freedom. If he was in the water, he could not only breathe. I guess for fish, you call it that breathing. He could move, he could swim away from danger, he could feed off other things in the water. He would be totally free because he was in the element in which he was born to live. But once you get out of that, talk about all the restrictions you want. The restrictions help you become free to be you, to be who you were meant to be. We said if you follow Jesus Christ, you'll not only find Jesus, but you'll find yourself. And so are you a doer of the word? Are you a doer? You got that owner's manual. It says, change the oil in your car every 5,000 miles. 5,000 goes by, 10,000 goes, 25,000 goes by. I don't want to do that. It costs money to do that. I just don't want to mess with it. I don't have time for it. And that's taking away my freedom anyway. It's a restriction in my life. Taking money away from me and time. So your car just dies because you're not going by the manual that God, that, that the owner, the uh, car manufacturer had given you. And we do not go by the word of God. We're not set free. We're set in bondage. Jesus said this. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Later in the book, he defines the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. God wants you to live in your element. He wants you to live in your blessing. He wants you to live in a, in a way in your life that is following after him. And when you're following after him, you can find yourself and be yourself. And God is going to bless you. Now, none of these books, in fact, this book um, that I gave you an example, you read this book, it'll be successful. Of course, we know there's no such book, right? There's no such book. Or is there? 
Here's what it says in the book of Joshua. The book of the law, meaning the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Wow, what a promise. I close with this little story. Dr. Jerry Vines told, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. And uh, the story goes, a grandson was visiting his grandpa just down the road from his house, little back road, dirt road, and it was getting late, it turned dark, and the old man could not really walk. He couldn't see his grandson home. So he said, you take this lamp, son, and it'll see you home. This light will see you home. He said, but grandpa, it's dark out there. Son, it's okay. It'll, the lamp will see you home. But there's dangers out there. The lamp, trust me, the lamp, this light will see you home. Well, dear friend, the word of God is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It'll see you home. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Um, as a Christian believer, I would challenge you today to say, God, do I believe the Word of God or the Bible is the Word of God or not? Is it our communi your communication to me or not? And if the answer to that is yes, and it should be as a believer, then do I want to really be that close to you? If I want it, it's there. It's the greatest book. The book that will lead me to successful, fruitful life, blessed life. God, it seems like to me it's worth reading and knowing what's in there. Would you make a commitment in your life to read at least a little bit of it every day, somewhere in the New Testament? And then for those who have never received Christ, this word will see you home. And the Bible says it's given to us for the saving of our souls. It tells us that Jesus died for you, that he loves you with an everlasting love, that he paid for your sins on the cross and then he rose again on the third day. The written word tells us about the living word, Jesus Christ. Whosoever it says shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right now, in the quietness of this moment, whether you're watching by television or computer somewhere at home or you're here today, if you've never received Christ, do so right now. Pray this prayer with me as I pray. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. Thank you for your love, for your grace. I invite you into my heart to be the Savior of my soul and the Lord of my life. Help me to be a Christ follower. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.